Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This week's show is one of my favorites from the back catalog. It's from August 2018. This episode was a Pride special, all things queer, and it was our first time meeting the Say It Loud Club, which I remember being very moving. I remember my husband, who produces the show, uh, crying on the side of the stage watching it, and he does not cry easily except at movies. It was a real celebration And we continue to support the Say It Loud Club every year through Campus Christmas now. We also hear from the Black Cap about how important queer spaces are. And there's also a brilliant drag act and uh, some wonderful music. It really, really is a classic episode and a celebration of all things queer and feminist. I hope you enjoy it very much. Next week, we're back with a brand new episode. See you then. I'm a feminist. But a comedian said to me, what are you going to do on Sunday if England are in the final because nobody will come to your show at (laughs) Regent's Park Theatre? And I said, oh, I wouldn't worry. Feminists don't really care about football. (laughs) Now, obviously, some feminists do. Just give us a cheer if you're a feminist who does care about football. Okay, so, okay, you all wouldn't have been here, which would have been a loss. Just give us a cheer if you don't care about football. Okay, we would have had a fine house. I was <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I read a negative Amazon review of a book I like, I looked at the other things the same woman had reviewed, and as soon as I saw she'd reviewed a head lice comb... Uh-huh. I thought, lady, I don't trust you. you got head lice. <laughs> Not my fault you're an animal. 
I know, people have kids, they're animals. I'm a feminist, but this weekend at Latitude, I forgot my sunscreen. So I stopped off especially at Boots to buy new sunscreen. And I treated myself to some really lovely sunscreen that had a shimmery bronzer in it Mm. that smelt delicious. And then was staying at someone's house near Latitude. So when I got onto the Latitude site, I realised that the sunscreen I'd gone out of my way to buy because I'd forgotten my own and I'd spent extra on, I'd forgotten that. And I was so angry with myself, I shouted backstage at Latitude, what is the point of me? What is the point of me? I did, but I really felt it in that moment. And I didn't know the answer. Deb, you are more than a glittery, bronzing sun cream to me. Well, that's terribly kind, but I did have to... I was scrounging around saying, oh, is there any chance I could borrow a bit of your sunscreen? I was so angry with myself. Do you know that feeling where you just think, I'm completely useless, and I know as a feminist... I did that today. I was trying to bubble the soda stream. Yeah. My fella has a soda stream, and he showed me how to use it so many times. So many times. So many times! So many times! And I put it in... And I know how to do that. (laughs) But it wasn't on the right angle and water went everywhere. Anyway, that's not my I'm a feminist butt. I was just empathising and I went, oh, shit. And then I went in and I, like, got it together. I went, honey, could you just, just with the soda stream? And I was just like, just a volcano of fury was coming up inside me. Anyway, I'm a feminist butt. I get really angry at women in music videos who allow themselves to act like they're blow-drying their hair when their hair is already dry. (laughs) You're either a sexy idiot or you're an energy waster. (laughs) And don't tell me it's because they might be trying to stay warm because they're always in a bikini. (laughs) The sisterhood is behind you, though. Thank you. I'm a feminist... But the other day I went for a walk through beautiful Primrose Hill and I wandered through Chalcot Square, one of the most beautiful areas in London. And I wandered around Chalcot Square and all the beautiful houses and I saw on one of them a blue plaque which said, feminist, poet and writer Sylvia Plath, author of The Bell Jar, lived here. And I thought... How could you be so depressed with this kind of real estate? (laughs) (laughs) Very, very funny. (laughs) She didn't know back then. She didn't know. If only. If only. You know? I don't think that's what it's about. But (laughs) I had that thought. I was like, I'd be happy in this house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a feminist, but if I was still single... I would bring out my emergency plan to lure a man by designing shampoo and conditioner that made my hair smell like mashed potato and gravy. (laughs) Not a bad plan. It's not bad, is it? Not a bad plan. If not, you wouldn't necessarily get men attracted to you, but you get a lot of very hungry men. Mm. (laughs) Just going, where have you been? You're like, the shower. I don't think it could hurt. Live from the Regent's Park, Yeah. <laughs>
as is only appropriate in an amphitheater. Oxford Bells, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yes, yeah, so we are Oxford and Oxford Books University's original all-female a cappella group. We were formed in 1995. Before male... Pitch Perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Generations before Pitch Perfect. Yeah, we what, keep getting what, that because of the Bells. In the middle of Britpop, you formed yeah. what before some of you were born, presumably. Or, before yes. all of us How, what's, were born. What's, uh, oh, only one of you were born. Get out. <laughs> 
So when the Spice Girls were singing Ziggy Ziggy, you were not alive, just to be very clear. You were conceived to Ziggy Ziggy. That's, that's a sobering thought for anybody, isn't it? So, sorry, Ellie, tell me more. Uh, so, yeah, we were formed to combat the all-male music theme scene <laughs> in Oxford. Uh, we, like, pride ourselves on being a feminist group. Uh, intersexual feminism is our, is our thing. So we have a show on at the end of a fringe, which is called Women of Note, from the 11th to the 18th, which is all about feminism over the past 100 years, celebrating the representation of the People Act, and all about how far feminism has come and how far women have come in the last 100 years, and also how far we still have to go. And before then, if you can't wait until Edinburgh, we have an EP coming out in the first weekend of August. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. First week of August. Right. <laughs> Your mic's not on. So, Just shout. Oh, oh okay. hi. I'm, I'm, Look at that. That's feminism in action. <laughs> One feminist amplifying um. another. You've, we've learnt already. We've barely begun. Um, so, yeah, our EP will be coming out on uh, the first weekend in August, and that song is on it. Um, the EP is called Women of Note, and the EP is raising funds for the Malala Education Fund, which is something really important to our hearts, which is also what we'll be raising money for when we get to Edinburgh, like after each of our shows, if we get to Edinburgh. <laughs> um, so if you and get we, to Edinburgh? <laughs> no, we will. She's lying. We're going to Edinburgh. <laughs> We're, we've set up a GoFundMe for our Edinburgh show. So to try and raise awareness about it happening. So where can we find... Uh, go to GoFundMe and look for Oxford Bells. Yeah, the Oxford Bells. We are on Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. At Oxford Bells. At Oxford Bells. At Oxford um, Bells. Great content. We've just been together for four solid days at Bells Boot Camp. Um, yeah, it is a thing. Uh, is it like Pitch Perfect? Please yeah, tell us no, it, it is. is. We, yeah. <laughs> Does anyone this say, Aka, excuse me? She's scary. I <laughs> don't want to see her when she's trying to boss you around. She's our music director. This is Caitlin, our music director. Hey! Uh, <laughs> And she has whipped us into shape this past five days. I can tell you that for free. Like. Sounds rude. Does anyone say, Ak, excuse me, please? Anna. Please tell me that happens. Anna is quite a diehard yeah. Pitch Perfect fan. And then someone makes a lame Pitch Perfect joke and we're like, no, none of that. <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing more of you. Big round of applause for the Oxford Bells! Thank you very much. See you later. I'm Deborah Francis White, and this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Today's topic is drawing a line and planting a flag, and my co-host is Felicity Ward. Today's topic is drawing a line and planting a flag, which I feel for feminism we need to do. Draw a line, plant a flag. Enough is enough. <laughs> yes, Deb. Do you know what I'm I've saying? I've had a bloody enough. Yeah. Who's had enough? <laughs> Except of this weather. Strong may it continue. Oh, my God. I know that this is not a very feminist topic, the weather, but <laughs> God damn it, I'm so happy. Like, I have been in the UK for five years, and after this month, I'm like, I reckon I could live here. <laughs> It has been nice. It has been delightful. And it was lovely when football was coming home. Oh, it was nice. It was coming home for ages, wasn't it? It, it was, was a long walk. Up. It was coming home. It was coming home, and at the last minute, it decided, nah. like so many, do you know what? I'll just spend a weekend in Paris. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, that Frenchies French, in? French people. Congratulations. Well done, you. And listen, lovely of you to leave the celebrations for feminism. Yeah. We love that. We love that. Well done. I was saying football's coming home, but I felt a bit 
like, you know when you see a sort of cis white straight man wearing a t-shirt that says, this is what a feminist looks like, and you go, hmm, is it, or are you just at a festival and want to join in? I felt a bit like, that's how I felt about when I was singing Football's Coming Home. I was like, I'm not really a team player year round. This has got bandwagon written all over Oh, so bandwagon. I had Football's Coming Home in my head and I had never heard it before. For two weeks, I was like, what is this song that I'm singing? Had you not heard it before? No. Oh. We call it soccer for a start. Oh. Mm. So if they said football's coming home in Australia, they'd go, oh, sweet, rugby. Right. But do you know why you wouldn't sing football's coming home in Australia anyway? No. Okay, it's because football was invented here. Oh, my God, here we go. And that's why... I can't believe I'm explaining the song to you. And that's why it's coming home. I didn't say I didn't understand the song. It's... Three words. <laughs> I picked up the message. No, but did, did you know it was like that's why it's kind of coming home because this is where it started? Yes. Oh, okay. Good, good. Jesus Christ. I just got mansplained by a woman. I know. I did. I did. That was a classic bit of mansplaining. So, I, as I was doing it, I was like, am I mansplaining football's coming home? Because if I am, I feel... Do you know what? I feel empowered by that. It was sort of... <laughs> I was actually reclaiming patronising other women, so that's actually a very feminist act, actually. I mean, you know, sometimes it's nice to be a straight white man for a second. <laughs> These are enormous, yes. and no one is this tall. I know. I'm, I'm going to move one to one side. I, I look know. like Liam Gallagher. <laughs> visual gag for all the listeners there. Do you know, I, did, I just did the Latitude Festival. Bragging. And... <laughs> don't want to go on about it. Uh, and, uh, and Liam Gallagher did a secret set, which we were tipped off about. And the thing is, I did want to go, because I loved Oasis, you know, when the Oxford Bells were being conceived. <laughs> and... <laughs> good times, good times. <laughs> you gotta roll with it. And there's an Oxford Bell. Um, <laughs> could you... Could you conceive to that? Take your time. It's an instructional manual for me. It's not from Cabaret. (laughs) I love how Deb turns every song into a song from Cabaret. You gotta roll with it. You gotta take your time. You gotta say what you say. And that is why she always wears sequins. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. Very much. Okay. Leslie Ward, you and me, we do an Oasis cover, like jukebox musical, but I'm listening. we do it in the style of cabaret. Mm. Now, Deb, this is where you and I differ. And I think the crowd is about to turn on me. I don't love musicals. I know, an audible gasp from the crowd. I'm no, sorry. Come on, come on. You've just, it's not all right. It's not That's the world's not very, cup. It's like, not very inclusive, actually, guys, for you no. to. It's pretty actually intolerant, actually. Felicity Ward, yes. I will have you in a musical before the decade is out. Like, oh, I'm Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy me dinner first. <laughs> There are some musicals. I like comedy musical. I, I actually love, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, for example. Mm-hmm. I love it so You'd much. Be a great. Um, uh, what's her name? Um, what's her name? Magenta. Magenta, thank you. Well, you're going to love this thing. That was a bit of audience casting there because most people shouted magenta and there are lots of people in that. So we all knew who you were. <laughs> we know. Uh, for my end of year music exam, mm. I 
uh, dressed up as Frankenfurter <gasps> and sung Sweet Transvestite. And I was on scholarship at a private school. And we did the performance. And basically how the, I got my friend who was a drag queen, um, he did makeup on me. And I did like full drag except tits. And, um, and I came out in a dressing gown. And then when it got to the chorus, I ripped it off. And I'm like, I'm just a sweet transvestite. And half the audience went nuts. And then the other half were the donors. And they're like, I do not like where my money is going. <laughs> And this was in 1998, so that was very controversial yeah, at the time. Yeah, when some of the Oxford Bells were toddlers. I know. Um. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to do very subtly? Is I'm try- when I came out here, I filmed everyone because I was very, very excited mm-hmm. to be here. And I'm trying to tag the guilty feminist in this Insta story. Otherwise, it's going to use up all my juice, guys. Are you literally Insta-storying on stage? I've already done it, mate. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to some... the motherfucking future. That is some <laughs> impressive millennial shit That's right. right there. And I'm not even a Millennial. I'm, I mean, I'm the last of the Gen Xs. Are you? Yes. Yeah, I'm Gen X too. High five. Yeah. I don't no. know what we're proud of. Our, <laughs> our parents had sex in an age. Cool. Mine listen, too. Listen, we've done a lot. We've, we we've, have done we've a lot, haven't the, we? We fucked did. the economy and the environment. What more do people want? That, no, was, that took a lot of time. We didn't fuck it. We just didn't do anything to correct it. Right. That's true. There's a difference. That's true. That's true. We are now, though. Look. Look at what we're doing. (laughs) Using up lights in the middle of the day. (laughs) For feminism. For feminism. Come on. What comes first, environment or feminism? It's the same thing. It's all complicated. (laughs) If you're listening at home, a bird just nearly took someone out. We We just got heckled by a pigeon. We should explain, if you're listening at home, we're not normally outdoors, but today we are. Ever. Not during the show and not off the show. No. Very much basement dwellers. Felicity is chauffeured from her basement to the theatre. There's a tunnel that comes here from my house. She gets out in dark glasses and, you know, um, this is the first light she's seen in a long time of a natural nature. I'll bring the birds, won't I? It's not a bad impression. see some stand-up comedy? Then welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis Wine! So tonight I'm going to tell you a story of the single event in my life that allowed me to start the Guilty Feminist podcast. I used to be a Jehovah's Witness, as many of you who regularly listen know. I'm not now, sir, the man in the fourth row. Don't worry, I'm not going to lock the doors and get out a little cart. You're safe. I used to be a Jehovah's Witness and I found it a very patriarchal, oppressive uh, religion and I left and I would have told you up till three years ago that this was completely out of my life. I was a stand-up comedian now. They didn't have any hold over me. And in fact, so much so that I made a show about it. I made a live show, then I turned it into a Radio 4 show and that show went out and lots of Jehovah's Witnesses contacted me, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, saying that show was very helpful and very cathartic and that was very nice to hear. And then I got a message from a young man in Canada, in Vancouver, called Ryan. And he said, I'm not a former Jehovah's Witness. I'm a Jehovah's Witness right now. And in fact, I'm a pioneer. And a pioneer is what I was. It's like an uber Jehovah's Witness, a full-time Jehovah's Witness. You have responsibility in the congregation. And I said, oh, Ryan, you're not meant to be talking to me. You could be disfellowshipped 
just for talking to me. And disfellowshipping is when you're excommunicated and you're shunned by your friends and even your family and they can't talk to you any longer. And he said, I know, but I've woken up. I've realized that this is a cult and I don't want to be in it anymore. And your radio show was something that helped me wake up. And I want to get out, but I want to do it like you did. I want to get out without being formally disfellowshipped. So the thing is, when I left, I just... I just stopped going until they forgot to disfellowship me. <laughs> I feel like they're going to remember now, but, um, but I discovered that they can't disfellowship me unless I'm fellowshipping, unless I'm turning up locally to a congregation. And so I haven't been at my last congregation for so long. There's no way they can disfellowship me because they can't disfellowship you from the international organization. It has to be a local thing. So I sort of got out and he said, I want to do that because he said, I'm, I'm third generation Jehovah's Witness. I don't know anyone outside of it. I don't want to be that cut off from my family. I want to be able to, for example, go to a family funeral. Um, like, if you leave of your own accord, you get a loose shun. Like, it's sort of like people effectively don't talk to you, but they can if they want to. You don't take the choice away from them. And so if there is something like a funeral, they tend to be nice because you've allowed them to be. So he said, I want to do that. And something about this young man just spoke to me and he seemed down, uh, he seemed disconnected, he seemed completely alone. And I said, how would you feel if I came out to Vancouver for a week and just, you know, was with you while you tried to do this? And he said, oh my God, that would be amazing. And so I got on a plane and all my friends were going, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I just feel I need to go to Vancouver. And they were like, to what? To stay with a man you've never met? I said, yes, I know, I know who he is. I, he's me years ago. I, I, just, I just need to do this. And I arrived and I don't think he thought I was going to show. But I think because he'd heard my uh, radio show on the BBC and he lives in Canada, I think he thought I was a lot more famous than I was. I think he thought I was like Graham Norton. <laughs> And I didn't disabuse him, because why ruin it for everyone? <laughs> and so I arrived, and, uh, and we got there, and we decided on a strategy to help him get away slowly in a way that he wouldn't be formally disfellowshipped. And while we were doing that, we decided that we would do something each day that he couldn't do when he was a Jehovah's Witness. So the first day, we did yoga because that opens you up and uh, you can't do uh, yoga when you're a Jehovah's Witness because your mind will go blank and the demons will get in. But they also used to think you couldn't say bless you when someone sneezed because that's what the pagans thought the demons coming out was. And I used to wonder if you could do yoga, sneeze, yoga, sneeze, like a demonic spin cycle. <laughs> um, the next day we did comedy improvisation, yes and, that opens you up. The next day we did MDMA. Um, <laughs> I mean, he wanted to do it. I didn't suggest it. Somebody who was an ex-Jehovah's Witness had told him that it was very useful for opening you up and connecting you to other people. And he asked me to do it with him, and I had done it before, and so I said, yes, of course I will. And so we went to meet this friend of... I was trying to be helpful. And uh, we went to meet this friend of his who had this stuff, and uh, she said, it's very, very pure, and I know the chemist. And so, I mean, I thought, oh, my God, it's like Walter White. Uh, and... So, and then she said, okay, I'm going to go now. And I was like, no, where are you going to go? You've got to come back with us. And she said, no, 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 I'm not going to uh, come back with you. I've got to go somewhere. And I said, no, 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 you can't leave Ryan and me alone doing MDMA in his flat. And she said, why not? And I said, because Ryan is a virgin and I am very helpful. <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. And I said, I'm, I'm, I worry if I do MDMA, like... I will listen, not in a sexy way, more in the spirit of Great British Bake Off, like a, a technical signature and a showstopper. <laughs> I'll 
I'll just show him some stuff to be nice to, you know. Anyway, she said, okay, I understand. I'll come with you. So she gave us a pill and we were on the ceiling. I have never experienced anything like this before in my life. It was just an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. And then she gave us another pill and she said, that will do you for the whole evening and we'll sustain it now. Now I'm going to go. And then she left some pills on the table and she went, don't take these, take these another time. And she left. And Ryan turned to me and said, shall we take these other pills. And I, being the older, wiser, more experienced drug taker and spirit guide, said, yes, yes, let's do that. (laughs) Because I was high. Don't leave the pills on the table. What are you thinking? Hide them. Anyway, we had this most extraordinary experience and it wasn't sexual. Ryan just wanted to hold my hands and look into my eyes. And I realised as we were doing this that I was the first person that Ryan had ever really looked at and connected to. Because when you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're young, you're a teenager, not only can you not have sex, because sex isn't it, sex isn't intimacy. You can't really like just, you know when your teenagers sit on their friends' laps and you hug each other and you might have a drink and you just sort of, even, do you know what I mean? It can be platonic, but it's a real connection. You stay up all night talking and you really connect. You can't really do that because it might lead to sex. It doesn't matter if you're with someone same sex or opposite sex, you just don't do that. You don't get tactile and you end up sort of avoiding each other's eyes because anything could lead to sex and you're always told you've got a wicked heart and it could lead to sex. So you become very, very disconnected. And I realized as I was looking into his eyes, I was looking into my own eyes and I saw that frozen middle that I used to have where I wasn't connected to anybody and I wasn't connected to my own body Like, we weren't even allowed to masturbate, and I had not ever. You're so cold and alone. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I started to wake up a part of myself that had been dead for so long because I had never acknowledged it, because I hadn't cut and run. I had slowly drifted away, and I had not acknowledged what had happened to me. And he was looking at me, and I was looking at him, and he was looking at me, and I was looking at him, and then our jaws started to clench. (laughs) I don't know if you've not ever done drugs, you may have seen somebody doing drugs so their drawer drawer is clenching, but we had taken way too much. So our drawers were really clenching like this. And Ryan just went, don't worry what's happening, don't worry what's happening. And I went, don't worry, Ryan, don't worry, Ryan. All you do is you suck your finger. Like this. And it takes the pressure off the back teeth. And when I said this, I genuinely, truly believed that this was received wisdom. I had done it before. I'd seen it many times. This is just what people did. When I came down, I realised I had never heard of it. I completely invented it. But it worked. In my high wisdom, there was something. And we started to release our jaws, and it was fine. And, but then he looked at me, and he went, Deborah. <laughs> No, we're not holding hands anymore. And I said, don't worry, Ryan. I'll suck your finger and you can suck mine. And we did. I have never been that high before or since. I need that out there. Um, And then we executed our plan after we'd come down, just to be clear. (laughs) 
Our plan was that Ryan should go to a kingdom hall, which is the Jehovah's Witness Church, but not his own, because his own, his elders could disfellowship him. And the elders at this point were pursuing him. They were emailing him because he was a pioneer who had responsibility in the congregation and he just disappeared. And so they suspected that he was an apostate and they wanted to get him into a judicial committee so they could disfellowship him. And so it was very clear he needed to stay away. So he was literally leaving his flat by the back door. He was avoiding elders who were sitting out the front in cars waiting for him. He was dodging their calls. Leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses is a lot like an episode of Breaking Bad. So I said, let's go to a kingdom hall that's near yours, but not yours. Someone will recognize you. Word will travel back to your elders that you're still attending. You've turned up somewhere. That must mean you still kind of have a belief for it or a desire for it. Perhaps you're just depressed. They will send you an email saying, it was great to hear that you went to a meeting. Hope to see you soon and it'll buy you a couple of weeks. That was our strategy. So down we went to the congregation next to his. Ryan said, let's go in late and let's leave as soon as it ends so we don't talk to anyone and we just get spotted. So we go in just as the song uh, is finishing. We sit down, uh, we listen to the public talk, which is their version of the sermon. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I just felt so like connected back into the mains. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm just getting all of these flashbacks. And at this point, someone came and tapped Ryan on the shoulder and he turned around and it was an elder. And uh, this elder or older man of the congregation said, Ryan, we need to speak with you. And he went, oh, I'm in the meeting right now. Can I see you at the end? He said, don't leave this kingdom hall without speaking to the elders. And he went away. And Ryan looked up the back and he said, Deborah, they've called one of my elders so they can get me into a judicial committee. And I said, what are you going to do? He said, during the song, I'm going to pretend I'm going to the bathroom and then I'm going to make a run for it. And I'm going to try and get out of the building. I said, I'll stay here as a decoy. So he left. I did not know what had happened to him. I stood up as soon as the prayer was over and I went to get to the back door and there was like an older sister who cut me off at the pass and was like, are you a visitor? And I was like, yes. Where are you from? London. London, Ontario? No, London, London, England. Oh, that's where Downton Abbey's from. Yeah, sure. And I was trying to get out of the hall. And when I got to the first set of doors, there were two elders standing there and they said, we need to speak with you. And I said, oh, are you looking for Ryan? They said, we've spoken with Ryan and now we need to speak with you. And I thought, I think I know what to say to them. So I followed them and they went into the back room of the kingdom hall and they shut and locked the door and there were no windows and they sat me down and they went so you're Ryan's aunt eh which was a convincing cover story (laughs) and I went yep why doesn't Ryan want to speak with us he refused to speak with us And I said, oh, well, I think, I mean, it's probably, it's all a bit FBI, isn't it? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) And I said, I think he needs some time. I think he's depressed and he needs some time. We're worried about Ryan. We love Ryan and we're worried about him. And when you love someone, you worry about them and he will not speak with us. It's hard to make the Canadian accent sinister, but they did manage it. And I said, look, I think the best thing you can do is just give him some space and some time and he will come back to Jehovah. And I played every beat right. Like I was saying all the right things. I was using all of the right language. And uh, they started questioning me further. They started saying, do you know anything about this situation? I said, oh, look, all I would know would be rumors. Oh, we're a couple of elders. You can tell us anything. They said, as they looked at each other, like, we've got her now. And I said, well, unfortunately, my Bible-trained conscience will not allow me to spread rumors. This is the Jehovah's Witness equivalent of pleading the fifth. (laughs) They were like, God damn it, she got us. And... uh, 
this interrogation went on for half an hour. They'd never introduced themselves. It went on for half an hour until eventually they started saying, so what's your last congregation? You're from London. What congregation? And I said, I just panicked. I hadn't planned this. I'd only planned Ryan stuff. So I just went Pimlico, which was true. That's the real answer. And they went, who's the coordinator there? That's the chief elder. And I went, uh, oh, I'm not sure who's think it's somebody new. And he went, huh, name any elder. And out of my brain, from somewhere, I pulled up Hugo Mitchell Davis, who's a very posh elder. I just managed to pull it out. I don't know where it came from. Maybe Jehovah helped me. <laughs> and I said, I said, I know he sounds like a Downton Abbey character, but no, he's real. And he went, I need his number. I said, oh, he doesn't know Ryan. He said, we need to do a background check on you. And I thought, that's it. That's it. I'm done here. And I stood up and I said, unlock the door. This is not okay. This is not, you are two men and you have a woman you don't know trapped in a room. This isn't even legal, let alone moral, let alone loving, which you claim to be. This is why Ryan doesn't want to talk to you. And this is why nobody wants to talk to you because you are not loving. Now open the door and let me out. And they went, oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) And they unlocked the door and I walked out. And as I walked out of the room and then out of the kingdom hall, I just felt something in me release. It was like an umbilical cord had been cut that I didn't even know was there. And I thought, how did they know I wasn't a Jehovah's Witness? I said everything right, and they knew, they knew. And I realized that while the language was right, I didn't look submissive. A sister wouldn't do that. She wouldn't give the elders advice on how to handle it. She would look at the floor. She would be tearful, and she would be listening to them. And I realized I'm not a credible Jehovah's Witness anymore because... I'm not submissive anymore. I couldn't pull it off, even when I tried. And then I thought, hopefully, I've bought Ryan some time, but I don't think so because of what's just happened. So not only may Ryan be disfellowshipped, I've told them my local congregation, my last congregation, and I've given them an elder's name. And that means... I now can be disfellowshipped and be cut off forever from various family and extended friends. And then I realized as I got to the car, they'd forgotten to ask my name. (laughs) Thank you very much. Deborah Francis White! Our first guests are from an extraordinary organization called Say It Loud. Please put your hands together and make an enormous guilty feminist welcome for Aloysius and Doris. Come, come, come. Take Take seats. seats. So, Aloysius and Doris, would you just like to introduce yourself? You can either take the mic in your hand if you'd prefer, however you like. Great. Hello, everyone. My name is Aloysius Sally, and uh, I'm the coordinator of Say It Loud Club which is an LGBT organization supporting asylum seekers and refugees here in the UK. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Doris Funtong. I'm an ambassador of the Say It Loud Club, so I'm here today because I just want to raise awareness of the organization. So I want to thank you all to be part of this show tonight and... Just listen to what we're about to say. Thank you very much. 
us a little bit about Say It Loud. Why did you start at Aloysius? Basically, my journey as a, a gay man coming out was quite an extraordinary one. I come from Uganda originally. And um, when I was in a college in Uganda, that's where my struggles of homophobia began. Uganda is a beautiful country. Unfortunately, when it comes to gay people, it is the worst. For gay people to live there, you just live every passing day. So in college, I began a movement called the Sail Out Club. It was um, a sort of an underground movement. I began with six students to fight the kind of injustices which were faced by the students in the college. And that was the beginning of the struggle. After about five or six years, the movement became bigger, and the more bigger it became, it was easier for the street agencies to start kind of like infiltrating the organization. And by 2003, it was discovered as a gay student movement. And it was a matter of time before I got arrested. So many of my friends, the, legend, the people I formed the group with, had been arrested. So I had to leave the country because my life by then was in danger. And I came to the UK in 2003. And were you able to come to the UK as an asylum seeker who was fleeing from a place where homosexuality was criminalized? Basically, I was still pursuing my studies by then, by 2003. But because of the danger I was first, I had to flee and come to the UK as a student just to stay safe. Yeah. Because if I had stayed in Uganda, the movement would have died. So when I came here, of course, I came to study. And um, I finished my course in 2005. And then I said, maybe I should try to go back and see if the situation is okay for me to go back and live in my country. Uh, unfortunately, it was one of the worst decisions I've ever made. Because as I was in the country, I got arrested. And um, I was tortured simply for being gay. And um, I was being asked to produce the list of all the members of St. Loud Club. And I was kept in, the, Uganda we call them safe houses. They're not like safe houses as we have them in this country. They are basically torture places. God. It was very sad, Deborah. Can I ask what you were arrested because of, like what did they charge you with? First of all, they found, they, I mean, when they arrested me, they found me with uh, leaflets, which I had got from St. Thomas Hospital here in London. And these are safe sex magazines mm. for gay people, because in Uganda, we don't have these kind of things. And is that illegal? It's illegal. And that is illegal, yes. And unfortunately, because of my love to promote the rights of gay people, I carried this with me. Mm. Mm. And when I was arrested, this is they the evidence. They found the evidence. So they accused me of spreading gay propaganda in the country. Mm. And so you were able to escape after that and come back to the UK? I was lucky because I spent a week in this safe house. Fortunately, I was able to bribe my way out because there was one guard. Uganda, you know, the bribes and the corruption, it's, it's at its worst. Yeah, you're kind of upstaging my Jehovah's Witness story in a really boring year, Aloysius. People were feeling for me, and now they're like, uh, oh, really? You said, let me out, and then they just opened the door. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm glad I told mine first. Um, Doris, what's your story? You're from I'm Cameroon? I'm from Cameroon, yeah. In my country, is 
it was really difficult for me to be quite honest in Arab because I actually realized I was a lesbian. I was in secondary school and it was quite difficult for me to come out because I was from a very religious family. So my parents, to be honest, they were really like spiritual. So I was thinking of the best possible way to tell them and I loved them so much. And I was scared that probably if I tell them, they might reject me. You know, that's the thought that any young girl would go through. So I was so worried about it because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anybody to talk to. There wasn't any role models. It's kind of hard because nowadays I'm like, when I see kids today, I'm like, they're really privileged because they have role models in schools today trying to educate them about, you know, they can have their own voice. If you want to be who you want to be in life, you can actually be that kind of person, but we didn't have that opportunity. So it was hard for me then. So when I went to university, then it was, that was when I actually knew more about what it means to be a lesbian because I went to a boarding school. All throughout, I didn't really know. You know, in a boarding school, we're confined in a sort like, you're in a school, you can't really go out, you don't know much. Whatever they say in school, that's what you know. So when you go out during holidays, you spend time with your parents, you don't really go out, so I didn't know much. And technology back then was so bad. All this internet, we didn't really have it like what we have today. All mobile phones, we can actually have like, you have internet, you have access to internet. But we didn't have that seriously, so it was really hard for me. So when I went to university, I knew more about my sexuality, like, more of what it means to be a lesbian woman because I didn't have a good understanding. Why growing up, I didn't have that understanding. After reading through many things on the internet, I realized, oh, so there's more to do with this. So when I went through, like, how can I, do, now I'm in Cameroon, how can I deal with this? Because I really want to live openly. I really want to be who I am. I'm happy to be who I am, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to tell my parents. I don't know how to go about it. But when I realized that it was illegal in my country, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the most difficult part. So it's not only like I have to deal with my parents, and I have to deal with the authority as well. Mm -hmm. So it was really like... It, a hard thing for me to deal with. So I decided to stay in my closet. I didn't tell anybody because in Cameroon, if you are a lesbian or you're a gay person, they don't even need to see you like in the acts. They just need to suspect you like two ladies walking on the street holding hands together, just mess suspicion. You just get arrested put in jail. So those are some of the conditions that it was really tough for me when I get to know about all those things in university. And you know, seeing other girls that I was really attracted to, it was really hard for me to approach them because I knew, like, what if the authority finds out about this? What, what am I going to go, like, what's going to happen to me? Like, so I say, you know what, the best thing to do is for you to just stay in the closet. And it was hard for me, it's like me suppressing my own emotions as a young girl. It's a difficult thing for any young woman to go through. Trying to hide your own identity, not being who you really want to be. It's like you're living a life of somebody else. That's not the kind of life you want to live. So it was tough for me until I didn't know how I was going to leave my country anyway. Because I love my parents too, so I didn't know how I was going to like run away. I didn't want to run away from my mom because I loved her so much. So I was so fortunate that she told me that she wanted to sponsor my studies abroad. I went like, okay, so where exactly do you want me to go to? She said United Kingdom. I didn't want to give any other country. Like, when she said United Kingdom, I went like, oh, great. That was great for me. So I came abroad. <laughs> that was a good opportunity. So I was excited to be abroad. But when I came, you know, growing from a community where you've always lived in your closet, 
So it wasn't just easy, even though it was a gay-friendly country, it wasn't just easy for me to just come and just integrate into the German system. It's well, something that takes time. Presumably, Doris, if you've lived in a country where it's criminalized, you'd never feel safe. Like, Absolutely. It takes a long time. The fear is that it takes time for you to actually, like, you know, let me just be like the older people that I see. And Aloysius, you were saying that some women in various African countries, if they're even as teenage girls, they're suspected to be lesbians, they're married off to men. Yeah, it is actually a problem in Uganda and Africa in general. Just a suspicion of a girl behaving differently from other girls, whether it's 14 or 13 year old girl, that is just enough to get them into forced marriages. Because and that kind of arrangement, to them, they believe, oh, this is how we can heal. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is how, it's kind of, I think, like a gay conversion therapy, yeah. stuff like that in this country. So Say It Loud helps refugees and asylum seekers through the process because often the British government won't acknowledge that people are gay. They say, like, you don't look gay, you don't have short hair, you're not a lesbian. You were saying that kind of thing is said all the yeah, time. Obviously, yeah. A lot of people, I've met many people who say that, like, oh, you know, she doesn't look like a lesbian. I don't know how you can attribute someone's sexuality to her looks. To be honest with you, sexuality is something else. I don't think that is a good thing to say. Because no, from the my, government. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's people, not a great thing to say. Choose to be the, yeah, you want to be, you choose the masculine part of it. You don't explain me. So my culture, like I said, where I came from. I can't have tattoo on my body. Like, mere suspicion. If you have tattoo, they know you are a lesbian. If you have short hair, they know you are a lesbian. <laughs> if they see two guys, because there were two guys that got arrested because they were drinking bellies. Just drinking bellies. <laughs> drinking bellies? Bellies is a drink that women drink. Oh, they drinking... say since they were drinking bellies, oh. they're gay. What, they were having like a white wine spritzer? Absolutely. Got... So it's like... Oh, I mean, half not. this country would be arrested like... in no time. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. So Say It Loud helps refugees and asylum seekers go through the process. It helps them come out in a way that is very emotionally difficult at times because of their backgrounds. Um, and it also helps people speak English and assimilate in other ways and join the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, basically, the story of Say It Loud, of course, it, it begins with me when I went through the asylum process in this country. Because mm -hmm. when I come back uh, from Uganda in 2005, by that time, of course, my visa was running out. Mm-hmm. And I was very confused. Now, what do I do? I'm a gay man. And I'm a man of color. Where, what, what do I do? I can't go back to Uganda. And at the same time, I'm living in the country. So within a few months, I was actually illegal. I used to be an activist. I used to be an activist in, the, in my college. Now here I am in the streets of London, moving around. I have nowhere to go, sleeping rough, just leaving your friends. It took me five years, Deborah to seek help. By that time, I was going through mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. And people don't believe, I mean, when someone talk about mental illness, people have no idea when you actually you have ever gone through that. Yes. And you are a nurse now. Yes, I'm a nurse now. But you also run Say It Loud. Yes. So you're two of our favorite things, because um, we love nurses. <laughs> And you've, you've started Say It Loud. Say It Loud needs support uh, from our audience here today and our listeners who are listening at home. What is it that you would like from us? The main thing is to raise awareness that asylum seekers can also be gay, can also be lesbian, can also be LGBT+. Because at the moment, the need is there, the demand is there. 
and the sellout club is playing a vital role in this. I mean, in our communities. Mm-hmm. When you say raise awareness, do you want us to hashtag for you? Do you want us to share things from your site? What exactly? These people need specific instructions. Yeah, to hashtag, of course. They want to help, but they um, need instructions to raise funds. Of course, at the moment, the sellout club is a voluntary organisation. Mm-hmm. I have so to you use, need money. We, we, yeah, we need okay. money. We can help and with is that. Is there somewhere on? Do you have a website that people can go to where they can donate to say it loud? We do have a website, yes. which is www.sayitloudclub.co.uk. Sayitloudclub.co.uk. And you can donate there. And there's also other instructions of how you can get involved. I asked Aloysius what he needs to, because he would like to be full-time for Say It Loud. It's all run on volunteers at the moment, and Aloysius is also a nurse, so you can imagine the hours he's working. If he had £35,000 a year, he could go full-time, he could train volunteers, he could have all the admin transport for volunteers. You know, it just costs a lot of money to keep something like that going. So... Basically, is there a very rich gay person listening? <laughs> I'm talking to you, Elton John. £35,000 is down the back of your sofa, and you know it is. Um, seriously, is there anybody who is uh, from the LGBTQ plus community or an ally who would be able to donate like five grand or ten grand or a corporation that would like to help and sponsor? Or does any of our listeners have one pound, five pounds, or ten pounds? Some people are laughing as, yes, that's more accessible to me. Um, <laughs> But either of those, uh, we'd be looking for to raise £35,000, and that means that Aloysius can do this full-time. How many gay and uh, trans people are you servicing each month? Um, All right. <laughs> Clean it up, guilty oh feminist. God. That's how Aloysius said it to me backstage. So in, this ca- say, in this country, can I ask that I question again for the edit? Because we cannot put that out. <laughs> you absolutely can. <laughs> how many... How many people does your organisation facilitate at the moment? (laughs) Well done, Leslie Ward. I think on average, I see about over 200 people every month. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. Great. Okay. So Say It Loud needs support. So we go to sayitloudclub.co.uk. Sayitloudclub.co.uk. They need volunteers. They need money. They need you to hashtag the fuck out of things. Are we on board for that guilty feminist? Sayitloudclub.co.uk. A big round of applause for Doris and Aloysius. recently you have demanded more you absolutely adore her it's the amazing grace petrie so i just wanted to say really briefly i was invited back to come on this podcast which i was very grateful to be invited back and i was like you know i do have other songs but because uh, this is the song that i played on the podcast a couple of weeks ago but then some of you guys i'm sure probably all of us here are aware that last weekend at London Pride, there was a very heartbreaking, for me anyway, interruption and attempted sort of sabotage of the march at London Pride. There was a tiny, tiny, tiny minority group of transphobic protesters who decided that they were going to try and sort of hijack the London Pride march for their own ends, right? And nothing makes me more fucking furious than when that gets reported as a lesbian protest. I want to say very clearly that those women do not speak for me and they really do not speak for the vast majority of lesbians.
So in response to that attempted sabotage, those transphobes were using the hashtag get the L out, meaning like they want to go off and separate away from the queer community. And in response to that, the next day, there was an amazing hashtag that was going around, which was L with the T. And honestly, that is really what I believe. I feel like my trans sisters, my trans siblings, we experience for the most part a massive amount of the same oppression. It is our struggle. It's our one community. And I'm very, very happy to be on this wonderfully inclusive podcast here today. So I, I wrote a song about that and about being a butch lesbian uh, and, and basically ticking all of the boxes that Doris was listing off there about the ways that people look for lesbians. I was like, yeah. It's like short hair, tattoos. I was in the wings like, oh, If fuck, you ever man. need to apply for me. asylum, you're going to be fine. Oh, yeah, you know what? I'll bring you with me as my... Uh, you can just demand that they open the doors. That's what I, I hear that you're good at that. This is called Black Tie, and it goes like... Well, it's a jungle out there The year 2018, I didn't think We'd still be sorting babies into blue and pink And all our progress, yet I wonder what it means That the only girls' clothes that work for me Turn out to be boyfriend jeans Well, that's fine Cause I decline A narrow set of rules that just don't work Cause these red lines If you need me, you can find me ironing my shirt Cause I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to my year 11 self In a year 11 hell Saying everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find the clothes that fit Images that fucked you were a patriarchal structure, and you never will surrender to a narrow view of gender. And I swear there'll come a day when you won't worry what they say on the labels, on the doors. You will figure out what's yours. And it's a bloody nightmare. Trying to fight the spread of bigotry and fear That's uniting Piers Morgan and Jermaine Greer And all our progress, yeah I wonder who it's for When I dare to other trans lives matter And all I got was the turf war Well that's fine, cause I decline Your narrow set of rules, they just don't work These red lines To my year 11 self In a year 11 hell Saying everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find the clothes that fit And the images that fucked you Were a patriarchal structure And you never will surrender To a narrow view of gender And I swear there'll come a day When you won't worry what they say on the doors You will figure out what's yours You will figure out what's yours And that it's got 
nothing to do with fitting neatly in a box that was constructed to make it seem like people come in just two teams and anything that's in between ain't good enough and you will love and you'll be loved and you're in black tie tonight get a postcard to my year 11 self in a year 11 hell darling everything's gonna be all right no you won't grow out of it you will find the clothes that fit and the image is the future for a patriarchal structure no you never will surrender to that narrow view of gender and there's folks you've yet to meet but you're exactly on their street and they've been waiting just as long to hear someone sing this song better days are on their way when it won't matter what they say on the labels and on the doors you will figure out what's yours and girl you're gonna be so happy just fine Girl, you're gonna be so happy Down the line Down the line stand-up comedy. Yeah. Then please welcome to the stage the wonderful Felicity Ward. Hello. Now, something very exciting that happened only a couple of hours ago and our wonderful French football supporters will know. During the game, the members of Pussy Riot, which are a Russian punk band, they crashed the field. They ran on the field as a political statement, which is wonderful and it reminds me about two things in particular. One of them is I love being a woman. I love being a woman for lots of reasons. Number one, boobs. (laughs) Actually, it's mostly boobs, if I'm honest. They're everything. They're a pillow, they're a catchment area, they make a honking noise when you grab at them. What's not to love? And I know that not everyone has boobs, and I understand that. I didn't get them till very late in the game. Like, I'm surprised they haven't made a Lifetime midday movie about how late I got my boobs. So I am very, very grateful to have them. There's one, only one point where I have a criticism of boobs, and it's when I used to watch the cricket. And I know a lot of you are sitting there going, would this podcast exist so we don't have to talk about the cricket? <laughs> but don't worry, chill out. It's about to get funny. So, back when I was a child in the medieval ages of the 1980s, people used to do streaks all the time. There were streakers all the time in the 80s. What would happen is people would just get so excited, they're like, I know what this needs, a nude body running across the field. I'm going to run towards that man that has a cricket bat that could be an assault weapon. That'll be funny. 
And if the thing was, it wasn't just uh, men back in the 80s, it was also women. So women would also just get nude and run across the field. I'm assuming more with the men that they would see it and they go, well, there's one ball on the field and they seem to be having a good time. Maybe they need two more. <laughs> but what would happen is there'd be a slightly different reaction to when there was a male streaker to a female streaker. I mean, female cis-bodied person and male cis-bodied person because it was the 80s and it was a very different time. So what would happen is a man would run across the field, right? He'd be completely nude. He'd have his leisurely flaccid penis <laughs> flapping in the wind and he'd run across the field and he'd go, well, hey, it's my dick. <laughs> and everyone in the crowd would go, well, hey, it is indeed your dick. <laughs> and that was the end of it, yeah? Now, when a woman would run across the field, she'd go, well, hey, it's my boobs. And everyone mostly would go, well, hey, it is indeed your boobs. But then there was a portion of the crowd, a lot of the male go, oh, they're boobs. They're free boobs. They're like the boobs that I see in my secret videos that I can't show to my wife. Oh, boobs, oh, boobs, oh, God, oh, boobs. I didn't see that. I might be projecting, but it was... There was a tension there, and I know the reason why is because boobs only have one setting, yeah? Boobs always look the same. If boobs are being sexy, this is how they look. If boobs are just going for a walk, this is how they look. If they're going to the club, if they're feeding, if they're sleeping, this is how they look, except they're tucked underneath my armpits. <laughs> Whereas the wang has two very different settings, doesn't it? Very different settings. It has the business setting. <laughs> And that's straight up and down. There's no funny business when it's business setting because it's business time, yeah? So there's business and then there's leisure. I don't think it splays out like that. It's all five Dick McGinty. No, I... Uh, it's the worst magic trick I've ever seen. Anyway, what I mean is there's no laughing at a boner. And that's why you never see a man with a boner doing a streak. Because a boner means business. A boner carries a briefcase, yeah? A boner does mergers and acquisitions, yeah? It does overtime so it can get the job done. That's what you don't laugh at a man with a boner. And I mean, of course, there are exceptions. Like one of my ex-partners had a boner and he took a shirt on a coat hanger and he hung it on it. It was hilarious. I took a photo. But the point is... That relationship didn't last, and I think it's because we messed with the natural intention of the wood, yeah? And so I ask myself the question that so many feminists have asked themselves before, how can we provide a safe space for women to just get out their baps without fear of sexual objectification? I know that's all on your minds now. <laughs> so I stumbled a across a, a solution, right? As all great scientists do. So firstly, what you'll need is a friend. So I'm sorry if that's ruled anyone out already. <laughs> I did it to a flatmate, so it wasn't so much a friend as a captive audience that owed me rent money. <laughs> so what you do is, my situation was, I waited, they were in the kitchen, and I went in there and I started nagging them about a chore that they hadn't done, right? Initially, they thought I was joking and they were like laughing around, but I, I stood my ground, I stayed firm, and I got them a little bit angry. And then when they started to get upset, I said, you know what, don't even worry about it. And then I stormed out of the room. I gave it a moment, then I re-entered the room and said something very inflammatory. I said, you know what, I just think it's a little bit sexist. And they heard the word, they turned around, and to look at me, they were just faced with a very, very angry expression and just a single boob hanging out. <laughs> just like a deflated beach ball, yeah? 
like a water pouch, like a doll's eyeball swinging in the wind. And I looked at her, I went, well, hey, it's my boob. And she went, well, hey, it's your boob. So that is the solution now. If you do want to get your boobs out in public, but you don't want to be sexually objectified, that is my message to you. Having said that, the 80s were a very different time and this will probably constitute as sexual harassment or assault. So maybe just do it with a friend that you know, yeah? Uh, So that is me taking a stand and planting a flag. Guilty Feminist, this is Deborah. We're recording more live episodes and you can come and see us. We are live in Chichester on the 21st of August where we'll be talking to the cast of my new play, Never Have I Ever. You can also see my new play, Never Have I Ever, if you can get to Chichester in September. It's starring Susan McComa, Greg Wise, Alexandra Roach and Amit Shah and is being directed by the incredible Emma Butler. And we're recording episodes of The Guilty Feminist and Global Pillage at the London Podcast Festival on Saturday the 16th and Sunday the 17th of September. For tickets to any of these, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on live shows. Except if you want to go to the play, and then I want you to go to cft.org.uk. You can also get ad-free episodes via Patreon, Apple Podcasts, or Acast Plus. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify and you felt like leaving us a five-star review, we'd love you forever. It really does help people find the podcast, as does subscribing or following. And now, back to the podcast. You don't own me. I'm not just one of yours. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other boys. Suddenly, big talk is all thrown out of act. So he does what any little boy would do. 
sure it's not a matter to me. Slandering names for popularity. It's sad you only get your fame through controversy. But now it's time for me to come and give you more to say. Such a natural. <laughs> Where does this go? <laughs> Just checking a message, babe. You got a, you got a you tweet coming through. Instagram stories. No, I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up my proper introduction. Now, <laughs> your own introduction. <laughs> your name is Deborah Francis White. I know it's been I a mean, long weekend and it's three names, I'm, but come on, you can listen. Do it. Heckles from the audience are one thing, but when it comes from behind you, it's very disappointing. Like so show many things. Show us your tits. Now, <laughs> did you just say show us your tits? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> they are beautiful, and I am not ashamed. Also, I've been at Latitude, where people just get their tits out. I've forgotten I'm back in London. Okay. All right. Speaking of local Camden drag bars... Here and- comes Tom Selinski. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, wow. Oh, thank you. Tom's just ordered us drinks. I am married to Tom Selinski, and I recommend it because I just need to tell you this. I found it so moving. He came up to me in the interval, and he went, Aloysius just broke my heart, and I went up to him and said, you're my hero. I know, I know. And he's less like a straight white cis guy. You just aren't that many good ones. My husband and I watched the World Cup game on Wednesday and he was like, do you want to do a face mask? I'm like, I'll fucking love you. That is, that's... We, we sat there okay, in the penalty I want shootout you, yeah. in the extra time with face mask. I'd never done one before. Okay. He had. Tom, you, this has been a delight, but you are over. Because uh, Tom would never do a face mask with me. I want to be upgraded to your husband, Chris. Well, you cannot. <laughs> he well, is a one lady at a time kind of situation. Well, at a time being the, for at, him. At a time of being the operative phrase, Flink. Do you know what? I, uh, I'm a feminist, but this is the literally the first time I have ever worn a dress without a bra. It's got a little panel in it, mm. right? So I was a little bit nervous before I came out. Some cheering up there. I see you. <laughs> and, um, and I said to Chris before, I said, can I get away with this? And he said, well, I don't know, on the side, I can see quite far down. And I was like, oh, I don't care about that. Do my tits look saggy? No. <laughs> nipple, absolutely fine. As long as I'm perky. Perky. Well, do you know what? I'm a feminist. 
feminist, but when I just pulled up my top mm. to show the audience my breasts mm. on request, <laughs> which, by the way, some men who were dragged to this show <laughs> and thought feminism have really got more than they thought they were going to get there, and they feel money's worth cha-ching, cha-ching. And she's but, named them. I, <laughs> the left one is cha, and the right one is ask. ching. Yeah. Chaching, chaching. Yeah. Um, uh, stage left. Uh, I'm a feminist, but when I pulled up my top, I thought in my head, "Hell, what bra am I wearing?" Because yeah. you know you can't remember. And I sat down, and I was still trying to think about. It's the blue one. Yes, I was so happy when I realised. Yeah, because it's pretty. It's got flowers on. Yeah, because I was, so was going to jump up and join you. I'm like, not tonight. No. No. Not tonight. Not tonight. That is, I mean, that is more than value for money if you've got a free pair of baps in your eyes. Our next guests are not baps. Our next guests are Alex Green from Loudon... Cl- for the edit. This is the great Should thing about a podcast. The, the way till the plane goes over. This is the great thing about a podcast. You could take everything again. Let's wait till the plane goes. Can I take my year 12 exams again? (laughs) I'm kidding. I crushed it. (laughs) Just a little joke, pretending I'm not absolutely set on perfection in every aspect of my life. (laughs) Anxiety is not your friend, but it helps to push you further in life. It's so true. It is a motivator. When, quick story, when I was, it'll be so quick, when I was 10, I got a C for my handwriting and Mm. I went, oh, well, I can never get a C again. So now people compliment me all the time. They're like, you've got the handwriting of a serial killer. I'm like, that's because I got a C when I was 10. That is exactly what a serial killer would say. Yeah. What I'm saying is sleep with one eye open, Deborah. I Listen, now I've accidentally made a joke about stealing your husband, yeah. which you can't steal a person, just to be clear. Just their love. Mm. <laughs> You've been watching Love Island, haven't you? No, I've, I've never seen an episode. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not better I've, than it. I'm afraid I'll be addicted to it. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, the patriarch is shouting from the wings. <laughs> Ow. I've never heard Tom say anything. Usually he comes on and goes, girls, if we could, could you just do That was aggressive. We should yeah, move on. No, that was, he did say don't faff around. Okay. That um, was not a microaggression, Tom. That was actually just an aggression. It was a so macroaggression. We're doing another 10 minutes, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have, we have to. We have to be out of the theatre and uh, they, they need Otherwise to Otherwise we're home. sleeping with the pigeons. Sorry? What, did someone just shout? Fine us. Fine us. Fine us. Yeah, no, but they want to go home. This is yeah. their day off. Okay, ready. <clears throat> They're um, not on overtime. They're, anyway, no. let's not get into workers' yeah. wages. <laughs> I've got some thoughts. <laughs> Shh, because I need to say it this clean. Our next guests are Alex Green from Loud and Queerly and Amy Roberts from Friends of the Joiner's Arms. Please put your hands together and make enormous woohooing noises for Alex and Amy. Hello. 
Listen, we hardly ever have a man on the Guilty Feminist, and tonight we've had two and little testes. Um, so tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, could you briefly introduce yourself? Uh, if you're listening at home, Alex has just put a prop on the table. He's put on a very beautifully decorated top hat and a paper wig. That's the only way I can describe it. Uh, so, Alex, could you just introduce yourself for the listeners? Hi, I'm Alex Green, and I'm here today, actually, to talk about the Black Cap, which is a really famous, iconic queer venue in Camden Town. I don't know if any of you know it. And um, three years ago, it was, it was closed suddenly by a greedy property developer, not because it was not successful or a popular venue, just simply because they wanted to turn it into luxury flats. Darling. Yes. We'll come back to that. Uh, so, yeah, we're here to talk about that, really, about planting the flag. And um, we've been there three years. I'm only 25. Look at me, I'm eight. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I sing and do stand-up, and so I kind of bring my entertainment stuff outside the pub. And what we do is we're out there every week doing our vigils. We can't call them protests because we'll get into trouble, but vigil protests. So we're out there, and we wear lots of hats like this. And then every couple of months, we'll do a really big show out there because ultimately, if they won't let us in, we're going to do it outside. So um, yeah, so that's what we do, and we've kept the place alive. We fought off three developers it's, you know, it's... It's, there, it's just sitting there, though. That's the terrifying thing. Yeah. Like, I've been in Camden for years, and the Black Cap was just this icon of Camden. It was a sort of... It wasn't just a gay space, it was a queer space. It was flamboyant, it had drag acts, it was like this fabulous, really sort of beacon of queer in the middle of Camden High Street, and it got shut down so they could turn it into luxury flats. I often say to Tom, one day we will get a letter from the council saying, as residents of Camden, you two are being turned into luxury flats. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I fully expect one day I will have to be a luxury flat. Yeah. And that's the, it's, 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 it's extraordinary what's happening. And it's really deadly. Kate Harford, who we'll be hearing from later, said, yeah, well, they wanted to turn the black cap into, their plan was um, luxury flats upstairs and a straight bar in the bottom. Ugh. And I said, yucky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Although, it, enough. although a straight bar on the bottom doesn't sound as straight as all that. I, I, I could live with that. I could live. A straight pat on the bottom. That might be better. Amy, tell us about you. Hello, I'm um, Amy Roberts, and I'm your, from the Friends of the Joiners' Arms, which is a campaign to save the Joiners' Arms in East London. I'm not sure if anyone here knows that. Some others may have been, but just can never remember it. But um, it's a... <laughs> Um, I went to a place and I came out of a place, but the name has it, it was the joiners. It was, it was the, a long night. It was the joiners. It was definitely the joiners. Um, so similarly to the the black cap, it was closed three and a half years ago when surprise surprise a developer bought the pub. It was a late licensed queer venue. Bought the pub from the brewery and very quickly told the landlord who was the legendary David Pollard who sadly passed away earlier this year they wouldn't be renewing his license so at the beginning of 2015 it closed its doors and they remain closed but their original plan was again surprise surprise they wanted to turn it into a block of luxury, luxury flats yeah exactly luxury yeah flats. luxury flats which are basically money boxes in the sky masquerading as homes I mean like but we've had a very successful campaign and back in October last year, we successfully pretty much squashed the original plans. They now have to do like a mixed use development. They were then forced into including a pub in that development. We went further and for the first time in history as part of a planning protection, it now has to be for the next 25 years, has to be operated as an LGBTQ. Wow. Come on. 
Bravo. That's amazing. We're, we are, like, as, as, as allies, we've been involved with your community for a very long time, but I'm sure there'll be listeners that might not have been involved in the LGBTQI community. What do these kind of places mean to your community? Because also it's a different time now, but what did it mean 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when there was a very different politics? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I always say about the Black Cup, and if you've never been, it was a shame, and hopefully you will again, is that it was a place that our community community could meet our allies on our own terms and we get this argument quite a lot that well now you know we're all equal and we can go into any pub and you know it would be illegal to throw you out if you were you know uh, looked like a lesbian you know I mean whatever and we said well actually that doesn't mean that it's safe for us always mm. and it's not safe for everybody and I don't know about you but you know it's for me to be able to and for a lot of us to be able to walk into a pub that we know is safe for us to take that baggage off sit a bit closer with your boyfriend you know kind of you know not be worried about your trans friends or whatever those spaces are really important and you know equality is not about being the same it's about being treated the same and I think that we forget that and uh, you know so we do need those spaces and I think 30 years ago when I came out <laughs> 30 <laughs> and I came to when I was I came from Leeds and I, and I you, you came know, out as a three-year-old I, I came child. out as a three-year-old <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I look fabulously over but I came I came here in the 80s I was I was signed a record deal I came here in my band I was all excited but you know I knew I was queer when you know who didn't <laughs> but I was in Leeds and it was quite a, you know it's a dark place it wasn't easy to be out then mind you it was a new romantic time so you can imagine you know last time I had hair it was gothic being was a fashion was fashionable so you know I've never had a decent hairdo ever since hence the hats obviously um, but coming to London and when I first found the black cab and walked in there and it was a grotty kind of run down sort of place but it was also a magical space because for the first time it felt like somewhere that I was with my queer family and in fact for the last I mean many people say this when they're out when you're outside the pub and not just gay people our allies will say this is a place in our community where we could come with friends we could come with family we could you know all be together you know you had weddings there funerals there Sadly, we also had New Year's Eve. You know, it became this place like you do in your own town. You have family. your you have your family do place, mm-hmm. and you know it's we we also get criticised for this whole for both of our campaigns is the idea of you know there are new queer places, but the fact is we shouldn't throw away ones that have intrinsic history that belongs to us because that's really important that we just don't throw those away. We're not trying to reopen the Black Cap to make it some sort of museum. We don't want that. We want it to be as young and vibrant and as sleazy as it always was. Um, Do you think it would need to be updated? Have there things that have happened in the queer community that you would want to embrace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it yourself, Deborah, actually, that the one thing that I always loved about the CAP is that it was always a queer venue in the sense that we understand queer now as, you know, our whole LBGTQI. You know, there was everybody there and everybody felt they had a place there. So you would see trans people at the kind of bunch of lesbians at the back, you you know, there was, and it wasn't all tops off, white gay, cis gay, men sort of you know jumping around to house music some of that obviously sure but, it, but it was a place nice. that you that you could that I mean that was my stomping ground to be fair <laughs> yeah but mine too yeah I have to say <laughs> but 
it needs to be inclusive yes, of everybody in the queer community yeah. and allies if they're with someone queer. You don't just want necessarily hen nights crashing. No, no. But and I think towards the end, we did that, that kind of uh, was beginning to happen. And in the last 18 months or so, because this guy owned the pub for about six years and he tried to run it down into the ground. And then the, a whole bunch, you mentioned her upstairs earlier. So Meth Lab and the Family Fierce, they sort of took over the promotion for the last 18 months and really brought it back to life. And then, of course, you know, on the night they actually announced it closing because he lost the battle mm. to get the protection, the asset of community value removed and the chance to turn into flats. Literally that happened Friday by Sunday, he closed it down and there were 500 people in that back room dancing to drag queens on the night of a pub that, you know, essentially is being closed because it's not profitable, which is just ludicrous. Mm. Clearly not. What can we do for your campaigns? What is it that our listeners, our audience here tonight and our listeners at home can do to help, to ally? Well, I guess for us, we've now secured the protection of the joiners in planning terms, but we, like you say, in terms of evolving spaces, we want to go further and actually turn into a community-run space. So I would urge anyone who feels that space is done and haven't catered for them in particular to get involved and to get in touch with our campaign. So, And how can they do that? So you can do that on Facebook, so um, find the Friends of the Joiners Arms, and you can also contact us by email on thejoinersliveson at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and we would love to hear your stories and if you want to get involved then come and make it as, as good as it can be. I and guess. are you looking for volunteers to join your campaign? Definitely, Do you yeah. need funds? Um, I've got a fiver in my bag, don't want to brag. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need both. We need, we're not um, fundraising precisely at the moment we want volunteers I guess because mm-hmm. we want to build on the vision that we've got to make and do you it... want LGBTQ plus volunteers or do you want allies as well obviously allies are welcome but this is going to be an L- <laughs> no but there was this s- is an LGBTQ led s- space and run space okay allies of course you know please come and wish, be involved wish but... wish the joiners arms well <laughs> uh, no yes. no no of course no come and be involved but this is good you know there's myself included, some of us within the LGBTQ plus community have more privileges than others. And for me, it's about platforming those people who haven't got those privileges. And Aidan Bevan once said, the purpose of gaining power is to give it away. And I think that's a brilliant mm. mantra for our community. You can get in touch with us through the at We Are The Black Cap, which is in the Facebook. Uh, on the Facebook. On fa- you know what I'm saying. I'm too old to know what the terms are. <laughs> um, and that's really the main thing. If you go on there, Twitter and Instagram as well, it's the same hashtag, um, at We Are The Black Cap. And there's lots of things you can do with us we do the vigils come down see the shows once you join the group you'll see all the activities we do and we do club nights we do different nights both of our groups and you're looking because the black cap is not yet back in lgbtq plus hands is it so So it's it's a different story for us we're saving a building as well as trying desperately hard now to put ourselves in a position where we can build a consortium of businesses and individuals who want to again do exactly the same thing to buy back the black cap now the owner is unlikely to sell towards but you need investors to take the black what cap we, over. What we'd really like, if there's anyone out there, anyone listening, who really wants to get involved in looking at how we can buy the pub back, if you've got skills around legal skills, financial skills, looking at how we can raise investment to put the best case we can and try convince this very lovely owner to sell it back to our community. Great. And that's how things change too, is grassroots movements. Mm-hmm. It's little movements around the country because often when we see massive campaigns, we think, oh, I don't know how I'm going to affect that or I'll give some money and then that's all we can do. But these little campaigns, that's how we as people can form little groups with our community and remember to connect with 
each other, that we're actually people that build this city, that we're not just all faceless people going to jobs, like we're all human beings that can connect and can create things that are great and create change. And I think, yeah, building on that as well. Great, we agree. <laughs> I, I think it's really important as well to that these grassroots campaigns around queer venues have sprung up because it shows that we're not just going to sit back and let things change. If we love things, there are people willing to fight for it and we demand a right and a say of what the city is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So Rubes Walsh, uh, who's been on this podcast a number of times, told me that she used to go to the MCC church which is a Christian genderqueer congregation at that time with the Reverend Kate Harford, uh, who's now in Oxford. And it was an important, she said it was like church after church. So we have Kate Harford here tonight. And Kate is going to, she's a reverend, and she's going to do a litany with us, which is going to be followed by the Black Caps traditional hymn. Yes. Um, uh, so Kate Harford, the Reverend Kate Harford. <laughs> I always go back to my evangelical roots when I'm giving a microphone and I want to say something like, give us a cheer for Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Not one. One, thank you. Okay. Um, So I get that the uh, church liturgy is not all of your homes. So I'll just tell you what a litany is and what I need from you. So litany is a traditional prayer that we say in a church or, you know, the original Greek for church is just assembly. So it's a thing that the assembly says together. And it's kind of like a traditional call and response. So I will say something about what's important about queer spaces in the past and what we hope for our queer spaces in the future. And all I need from you when I finish speaking, and Deb will probably cue you a little, is we need our space, which is really easy, and it's really easy to remember, and you can even practice it. So it's we need our space. We need need our space. space. Awesome. So I wrote this for the Black Cap, but it's, I guess, applicable to any of the many wonderful venues that have been closing across our cities. For the young person unsure about coming out, we need our space. We need our space. For the bisexual woman on her first date with a woman, we need our space. We need our space. For the newly married Muslim couple who needs somewhere to dance, we need our space. We need our space. For the widow who needs a community to care for her, we need our space. We need our space. For the trans man exploring his femininity coming out in a drag queen persona, we need our space. For the asylum-seeking couple who have never been safe to kiss outside of a locked room, we need our space. We need our space. And for everyone who's ever loved the queer community and what we stand for, we need our space. We need our space. So in memory of Regina Fong and her sisters and siblings, and in the name of all that is queer and holy, we need our space. We need our space. Amen. Amen. And now the traditional Black Cap hymn, which you will all join in, including the Oxford Bells. Hello, everyone. Right. You've got your Regina wigs. Lift your Reginas up. Come on. Now I want you to take those home with you. Do a selfie. Put it on the face. Put it on the Facebook. I'm here again. Put it on the Facebook campaign page. I'll finish that sentence. Okay. 
Regina Fong was a legendary drag act at the Black Cap from right through the 70s, 80s and 90s. And she used to literally fill the cap and many other places. Hundreds of people, didn't she? She was absolutely amazing. And she had hundreds of catchphrases and songs and things and everybody would know every word of them. So, and one of them was a really famous song called uh, A Windmill in Old Amsterdam. We in the cap would call it The Mouse. I want to welcome on the protesters. Come on, these are our Black Captivists. Supported by Say It Loud. <laughs> Say It Loud, we love these guys. And the Oxford Bells are going to join us in our lovely Black Cap anthem. So you be prepared. I want the clog dancing good, good and hard. Practice now, please. Clog dancing. Oh my God, I've done already. <laughs> are we ready? Should we go? mouse lived in a windmill in old Amsterdam. A windmill with a mouse in, he's hardly a grouse in. He sang every morning, how lucky I am, living in a windmill in old Amsterdam. I saw a mouse, well, there on the stair, where on the stair, right there. Ready? Little mouse with clogs on. Well, I declare, go and flip, flip, and he come on the stair. Oh, yeah. Well, the mouse, he got lonely and took him a wife. A windmill with mice in is hardly surprising. She sang every morning, how lucky I am, living in a windmill in old Amsterdam. I saw a mouse, where there on the stair. We're on the stair, right there, come on! A little mouse with clogs on. Well, I declare, go and flip the belly club on the stair. Oh, yeah. Key change. <laughs> triplets, and then she had twins. A windmill with twins in, and triplets and quins in. She sang every morning, how lucky I am. In a windmill in Amsterdam, yeah. I saw a mouse, well, there on the stair, where on the stair, right there, a little mouse with clogs on. Well, I declare, oh, it clip, clip, and it clopped on the stair. That's right. Oh, yeah. First, the daughters got married, and so did the sons. We want to do a christenings when no one was listening. They sang every morning, living in a window, old Amsterdam. I saw a mouse, where? There on the stair, where on the stair? Right there, a little mouse with clogs on. Well, I declare, go flippity clump on the stair. Oh, yeah. A mouse lived in a windmill, so snug and so nice. There's nothing there now but a whole lot of mice. <laughs> save the Black Cup, save the Johnny's Arms, save Queer Spaces. To join the Oxford Bells in I Will Survive. We have somebody very special, somebody associated with the black cap. Now, normally, 
this person is known as Ebony Rose. But tonight, she is going to appear for you with the Oxford Bells as Luxury Flaps. Just wanna praise, praise, just wanna praise, praise, just wanna praise, 
you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Where can we see you perform? You can catch me at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern at my place of residency on Tuesday nights, bar whatever. Royal Vauxhall Tavern, come down. It's an LGBT plus Q night that supports LGBT people and performance and cabaret performance. Yes, so come down. My guest co-host Felicity Ward and our very special guests Kate Harford, Alex Green, Amy Roberts, Aloysius Sali and Doris Funtong Kimbong with music from Grace Petrie and the Oxford Bells and a performance from Ebony Rose Dark. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zielinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Tony and Hannah at PBJ Live and Kath and Andy at the Regents Park Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. It's a big show tonight, so I got one of your favourites. No, you didn't. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it, so we've got Felicity Ward instead. I know these favourites are because people come up to me in the street and say... Um, Let's name all of them now. No. I want, all, names. I want a, names. I want names. Everyone's a favourite in their own way, but you're a favourite favourite. Yeah. This will... I mean, I would love to say that I don't care, but that's going to get me to sleep tonight. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. 
Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U dot com, code GLOW.